2020 has been a year like no other, and now that the end of July is here, many of us are still wondering if and when things will go back to normal. Right now, you might be trying to ease your child's anxiety about the uncertainty of new school procedures, as well as having a new teacher, or how to play while staying at a safe distance. You might be wondering how you're supposed to once again handle your child's schedule to make sure learning is happening on top of your own work schedule. Teachers, you might be nervous about returning to school in person and how to hold small group meetings with your students while also keeping everyone's safety in mind or how to best create a schedule and use technology if you are online. I know all of this has been weighing on my mind because in a few weeks, most children are going to be in some type of learning environment, even if it's not something that we know as normal. But what does normal really even mean? And should we want to return to it? In episode seven, we start to explore this question. Welcome to the Kids Math Talk podcast, where in each episode, we give parents and educators practical tips and insights that will deepen mathematical understanding while also encouraging the conversation about math to remain active and positive. I'm your host, Desiree Harrison, elementary math coach and Kids Math Talk founder. The exact definition of normal means conforming to a standard. Given that definition, in some ways, I hope that we don't return to normal. Yes, I do wish for my family's continued safety, as well as your family's. But I no longer want to accept an educational system that has a standard of marginalizing some children while lifting others into greater positions of privilege. Or a system where the standard is to value high-stakes testing over high-quality instruction. That's a reality filled with inequities and injustices. That's a reality where some children grow to dislike mathematics and never realize their full potential, and where the standard says that it's okay to announce that I'm not a math person. It's a reality where adults hold unproductive beliefs about how children learn and about who is capable of mathematics. I don't want to go back there. I strive for a new standard where the reality is that children's thoughts and opinions are valued, and where mathematics is used not to separate, but instead is used to help all children gain a new perspective of our world and to bring people closer together, where children's abilities and dispositions toward mathematics are not believed to be fixed, but are known to be shaped by their experiences. So I'll put it like this. In August, I hope we don't choose to revert back to our previous normal, where we might believe and say something unproductive, such as, these kids are really low, or something like, there's a lot that they missed last spring. Who will statements like these serve? These deficit-based descriptors only indicate what an adult believes a child has missed or didn't learn. They aren't facts, they're opinions. These descriptors ultimately use an adult's perception to indicate a child's reality. Statements like these are born from our own implicit bias and lead to further inequities that we have accepted as a part of the normal standard, such as ability grouping, where children are divided based on the deficit-based descriptors of low, medium, and high. We have been conditioned by our past normal to search for and highlight items that need to be worked on and fixed, instead of creating scenarios and experiences that promote access and attainment for all students. 
I admit, I have been guilty of this as a teacher. I've been a part of ability grouping in the past where I had all of the medium students or the high kids in my room. I'm not saying that small group instruction is never needed, but I am saying that we have to first ask ourselves, why are we forming these groups? What are we giving children when we're meeting with them in small groups? Are they all getting the same quality of math experiences, even if it's for a different concept? Or have we been unconsciously telling ourselves that the quote-unquote low students need more remedial work, more worksheets and step-by-step directions, while those that we view as quote-unquote high flyers need more of a challenge and more practice on creative problem-solving? When creating flexible groups, we have to ask ourselves, Are all children getting opportunities that build positive experiences and help them be seen and known as doers of mathematics? As the NCTM's book, Catalyzing Change in Early Childhood and Elementary Mathematics, states, any ability grouping in mathematics education is an inequitable structure that perpetuates privilege for a few and marginality for others. I don't want to return to this standard. We need to stop accepting ability grouping as a standard and reframe how we describe children. A major purpose of learning mathematics is to develop profound mathematical understanding in order to empower each and every child as a confident and capable mathematical learner who is willing and eager to tackle tasks. Ability grouping does not empower children. I challenge all of us to reframe our language, our thinking, and our practices. Let's adopt what authors Kobat and Karp refer to as a strengths-based approach and instead use language and strategies that hold children harmless, strategies that celebrate them and position them all as competent learners. We can start by using phrases that stem from the positive, such as, they learned about foundational facts last year, And we can use this understanding to now help them learn about derived facts. Or something like, these children have a strength for persevering through problems. By choosing the second option, we will be living into a productive belief that all students, regardless of gender, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status, need to be given the support, confidence, and opportunities to reach much higher levels of mathematics success and interest. This tiny change from one unproductive belief labeling and separating children to its productive alternative of creating rich mathematical experiences for all children creates a more equitable standard and vision of normal, while at the same time increasing the chances of building positive mathematics identities. Teachers, in the fall, there's going to be a lot of temptation to return to normal, and give lots of pre-assessments to figure out what children know and don't know yet. The last thing we should want to do is over-assess our children or separate them by ability. Instead of focusing on more testing, let's take this strengths-based approach, get to know our students based on these strengths, and learn about their current mathematical abilities through rich tasks that are aligned to specific learning goals. Then we can use a variety of resources to help us incorporate needed review into current units of study. We need to focus on inclusion instead of separation. About a month ago, Achieve the Core released suggestions about essential learning standards for each elementary grade level. This is an excellent resource to use as you think about incorporating tasks. 
And you can use a resource like the NCTM's book, Taking Action, to help you build and refine your learning goals. But don't do this work alone. Talk with your team about creating learning goals on a unit-by-unit basis. Talk with your school's or district's math coach or coordinator to see if there is a plan already in place for rich task implementation and learning goals for the first unit of the upcoming school year. Parents, ask your child's teacher what the essential standards for the school year will be. Figure out what the assessment plan will be for both the classroom and what high-stakes assessments your child will be asked to be a part of in the coming months. There are over 30 productive beliefs around the teaching and learning of mathematics that we can talk about, and I encourage you to purchase the NCTM's book, Principles to Actions, to explore these and the essential elements they are a part of, either on your own or better yet, as a part of a book study. Productive versus unproductive beliefs aren't something to be viewed as right or wrong. Productive beliefs simply lead toward greater access to mathematical content and more equitable practices. Strengths-Based Teaching and Learning in Mathematics is another book worth your time that will add a whole new layer of meaning to the idea of productive beliefs and creating meaningful learning opportunities for children. I'll add the links to both of these in the show notes for you. These books can be for teachers or parents, because remember, a child's mathematics identity is impacted by not only how they see themselves as mathematicians, but also how others see them. As Catalyzing Change states, To do right by our children, we must move forward together. We must reflect on our roles as agents of change and reframe, intervene, and transform institutional structures, policies, and practices that perpetuate and promote systemic inequities for children. We as adults have that power. We engineer these opportunities and experiences for children. And what we believe about children affects this creation. In these upcoming weeks, let's take the time to explore our own beliefs and how many of these are productive versus unproductive. To get you started, I'll read some of these beliefs. Ask yourself which of the following you believe, and remember that this exercise only works if you're honest. So here they are. Number one, students can learn to apply mathematics only after they have mastered the basic skills. Number two, all students should have access to technology and other tools that support the teaching and learning of mathematics. Belief number three, the primary purpose of assessment is to inform and improve the teaching and learning of mathematics. Number four, effective teachers can work autonomously and in isolation. As long as the students in one's own classroom are successful, all is well. You can head to my website, kidsmathtalk.com slash podcast, to find out which of the ones I just mentioned are listed as productive and unproductive. We have to believe that all children, regardless of their backgrounds, are capable and deserve opportunities to learn through rich tasks and equitable teaching practices. Starting right now, we have an opportunity. Instead of conforming and returning to our old version of normal, let's use productive beliefs to build an equitable standard and use this to create our next normal. Before I go today, I want to let you know that Kids Math Talk has an upcoming giveaway. Each week from August 11th to September 15th, 2020, one lucky listener will be chosen to win a variety of prizes. What do you have to do to enter? Just leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred platform telling us how you are enjoying the podcast. It's that simple. Visit the Kids Math Talk website for details. 
Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to keep the Kids Math Talk conversation going. You can always tweet me with questions or comments using the handle at Kids Math Talk. You can also head to my website, kidsmathtalk.com slash podcast to read the productive and unproductive beliefs that are mentioned in this episode. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred platform. And join us next week for another episode of the Kids Math Talk podcast.